As you watch this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see. Welcome to Home Group. My name is Rick Renner, and tonight we're going to pick up where we left off last night. I'm here with Denise, Paul, and Joel, and last night we ended, guys, by talking about monsters and things descending from the heavens. And I want to say thank you to you, Hope Group, for all your comments. I'd like to know what do you think the monsters are and what do you think the things are that are going to be descending from the heavens. The King James Version calls it a great sign. It is a globally impacting event, something that's going to descend out of the heavens at the end of the age. That's pretty interesting, isn't it? Mm-hmm. What do you Very think, interesting. What do you think? I think it's very entertaining to think about. It is. There are some things that we don't know for certain, but it's very entertaining to think about. And I think the closer we get to the end of the age... We'll know what it is. We'll know what it is. Some things are unclear right now, but later we'll think, you know what? All of a sudden, Revelation is making sense. Yeah. We'll begin to understand it later. Well, actually, everything Jesus said is very clear to me, except those two things. And we could provide a lot of conjecture about what monsters are and what are these things descending out of the sky. Maybe you have some conjecture. And please go on social media and tell me what you think. It'd be fun to read what you have to say. But Denise, welcome to Home Group. Thank you, Rick. Home Group, welcome. I almost had to laugh last night because here we are talking about all these monsters. And then Rick's look. Rick looks in the camera and says, and have a good night of sleep. <laughs> I thought, yeah, that's one way to go to sleep, thinking about monsters. But anyway, <laughs> but the good thing is, is that Jesus knows. And he knew. He knew more than 2,000 years ago that these things were going to happen. He knew that coronavirus is going to come. And that magnifies how great he is. And if he would tell us what's going to happen, then it's definitely not to scare us, but to prepare us. Amen. Joel? You know, I think, I know we're like leaving the monster subject, but I think one of the, maybe the monsters could be AI, robots acting as humans. You mean artificial intelligence? Artificial intelligence, maybe. But... That was yesterday's home group. And but you know what? Let's say there. We're living in an age when there are a lot of possibilities for monsters. That, that even depicts the end of the age. We're living in an age where there's a lot of possibilities of what a monster could be. That could only happen in our age at the end of the age. Okay, Joel. But I wanted to tell you that Jesus is Lord. Amen. Amen. Lord over every situation. And Jesus told us about these things to come. And aren't we grateful that he did? A lot of people read these scriptures, and I think they skip over them because they can be read in fear. But Jesus didn't want to scare us. He wanted to prepare us, and I'm so grateful that he did. We've been talking about the signs, and I've been holding on to an example for the last week, and it's finally Tuesday, and I think it's time for me to share my Okay, example. give it to us. Okay. I like to travel, especially like to drive with my family on road trips. <laughs> I may have given this example before, but I think it's the best example possible when we talk about the signs of Jesus' coming. Okay, wait a minute. I have to say something. Okay. Paul loves to travel on the road with his family so much that they do nearly crazy trips. Like drive from here all the way to the other side of Europe and all the way back in a few days. That's almost insane. Then we drove from Moscow 
to Venice. And halfway there, one of the cylinders in our engine <laughs> stopped working. And we didn't stop. We kept going. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. And we so, drove through the Alps. Okay. <laughs> Let me tell you why Paul does this. Oh, Paul. Paul is fiendishly committed <laughs> to putting little dots dots on his map of all the places yes. where he has been. Dots. And the map is loaded. So he calls me. He says, Dad, I know how to get a lot more dots on my map for our next family vacation. I'm thinking, well, what is it? He says, I'm going to drive to Jerusalem. <laughs> I said, of course, we're just north of Jerusalem. He said, I'm going to drive around the other side of the Black Sea. We're going to drive down through the eastern part of Turkey, which is not safe. And then we're going to drive through Syria. This is during the Syrian conflict. He said, that would be so interesting and so adventurous to drive right through the middle of the war. And I just have to tell you, I stepped forward as a dad. I said, son, that is a bad idea. And then he says to me last month, you know what I'm doing my next vacation? I want to drive to Vladivostok. <laughs> you get a lot of dust. Vladivostok is the other side of Russia. That is 10 time zones from here. Hey, it will be fun. We'll remember it forever. I'll get a lot of dots on my map. It'll be like a once-in-a-lifetime deal. Okay, so back to my example. Now, when you are getting close to Moscow, oh. Moscow traffic is a monster of its own. Referring to yesterday's program about monsters. Moscow traffic can be pretty hectic. Now, in recent years, it's gotten a lot better. But when, you're, when you've left Moscow for a week or two and you're driving around other cities with less people, less cars, so much quieter and slower. And it seems like people aren't in a hurry to go anywhere. About 200 kilometers, 100 miles from Moscow, all of a sudden, things get hectic. You, can, you, you see people hurrying somewhere. It's wonderful. And when you're driving to Moscow, usually it's the end of the day like you've already been driving for 16 hours and by the time you're finally getting to moscow you're thinking where is moscow and then when you're tired and the kids are tired and you're out of gas and you're hungry and you just wish you could get home all of a sudden the traffic gets really really hectic and the closer you get to moscow the more cars there are on the road the crazier the driving gets and then finally you get to Moscow and it's like, oh, here I am. This is what I was missing. All the traffic and the big highways. You should have stayed home. <laughs> <laughs> like, but, but you can tell you're getting close to it because the atmosphere begins to change, even if you don't even see signs. I know we've been talking about signs like road signs, but there are other things to tell you that you're getting close. Mm -hmm. That sense of urgency, the traffic, the, the, the chaos. Even being tired and just wishing you could be home. The atmosphere. Yeah. Think how many people say, I just want the rapture to happen. I am so tired of all this. When are we ever going to go to be with the Lord? That's right. It happens. It, it happens. So I've been holding on to that example. For That's a great example. Yes. Thank you, Mr. Renner. I've got another one holding on to. You want to share it? Jesus responded 
in Matthew chapter 24 to uh, a question. And we got a whole chapter full of examples. Yep. That's what he does. Uh, John chapter 3, Jesus responded to Nicodemus' question, and we get a whole chapter about how salvation works in our lives and what the Lord Jesus came to the earth for. He responded to one question, but we got so much information. And Matthew chapter 24 and John chapter 3 were private conversations. Well, when you talk to Jesus privately, you hear more. And that's why you need to spend time talking to the Lord. Just this morning, I sat on my couch and I had such a great conversation with the Lord. He really began to speak to my heart. That's what happens when you have a private conversation with Jesus. But Denise, are we having fun being with our sons? Oh, it. you know, I just sit here and I'm grateful because I think there's lots of people who don't get to even see their children. And we're sitting here getting to do this with them. And I'm so grateful. And with our home group. Home group, we are so glad to be with you. Thanks for letting us come into your life. And thank you for being a part of our lives. And please chat with us on social media or YouTube or wherever you write. And by the way, if you need prayer, write to us, prayer at renner.org or call us 1-800-742-5593. And remember to get your download called Signs You'll See Just Before Jesus Comes, 124 pages. It's like a book. It's free. We did it for you, so please come get it. And you need to order the whole series that goes with it. It is really worth your time to listen to this series. It's only 10 parts, but wow, when you're finished listening to these 10 parts, you're going to say, you know what? It looks like we are on the precipice of the coming of Jesus, and this will tell you why. And there's the book that goes with it. I'm going to be reading from this book today, Signs You'll See Just Before Jesus Comes. Get this book. And get Last Days Survival Guide. Denise, think of all the years I never addressed anything about the last days. Years. Years. In fact, people would even ask me questions and I would say, I don't know. I just didn't want to tell anybody what I really thought because I didn't want to take a stand. Because very often when you, for example, if you say you believe in the rapture, usually you lose part of the audience because they don't believe in it. And I didn't want to lose anybody because they need the Word of God. They need our message. So I didn't take a stand for years. But now I do because I felt I had a mandate from heaven to begin speaking to these issues. But anyway, I wrote this book, Last Day's Survival Guide. The foreword is by Perry Stone, whom I appreciate so much. The subtitle says, A Scriptural Handbook to Prepare You for These Perilous Times. Get yours today. But guys, let's go back to Matthew 24. And in Matthew 24, verse 3, like Paul said, Jesus was speaking privately with the disciples. And the disciples said, tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Then beginning in verse 4, Jesus begins to give them really a whole enumeration of signs. He says, take heed that no man deceive you. So there you have worldwide deception. Verse 5. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. There we saw the deception will even try to come inside the church. That is a reference to the church. Verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Verse 7, for nations shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in divers places. We covered all of that in the last home groups. Verse 8, 
all of these are the beginnings of sorrows. Then you come to verse 9, where Jesus gives us the last, the next indicator that we've come to the end of the age. Are you ready for it? Now, this is one that Christians in the Western world have never understood. In fact, when they've read this, they've said, that must be talking about somebody else. Why? Well, let's look at it. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And when Western Christians have read that, they have said, well, that's not about us. That's about people living in other parts of the world. Well, I want to tell you something. We're living today in a hurricane. And the hurricane started blowing 2,000 years ago. But here's how a hurricane works. A hurricane comes in. You feel the brunt of the hurricane. But when you're right in the middle of a hurricane, in the eye of the storm, there is peace. It's amazing. There's peace. In fact, many people think the storm's over because the sky is blue. There's no wind. Everything seems normal. And then, bam, they're hit again with the backside of the storm. Well, a spiritual hurricane began blowing in the first century against the church, and for 300 years, the church was viciously persecuted. Then it passed, and the church lived in a bubble of peace. They lived in the eye of the storm for a long, long time, and much of the church world never knew a thing about persecution. In fact, they thought persecution is if somebody didn't smile at them. Or maybe somebody said something unkind. That's not persecution. You just have to learn to live with that. That's just life. Maybe somebody thinks you did that to them. Did you persecute them? No, you just didn't smile or you didn't have a twinkle in your eye. But the church in the Western world has lived in the eye of the storm and they just thought it would be like that forever. Now we're at the end of the age and guess what? The backside of the storm has begun to hit. And that's what Jesus prophesied here. There was a persecution in the beginning and there's going to be a persecution at the end. There was a lull in the middle. So the Western church always thought this is what would happen to somebody else somewhere else. But Jesus didn't say that. And in fact, I want us to see what Jesus said. I'm going to read to you from signs you'll see just before Jesus comes. Listen to this and please forgive me. I'm going to read a lot because I need to. I cannot improve. And guys, please feel free to interrupt me at any time. What did Jesus mean when he said believers would be afflicted? This word is the word thalipsis, which describes pressure, stress, or stressful situations. It could refer to pressure from family and friends, to hostile reactions from fellow workers, or loss of employment due to one's faith. In other words, this word describes events piled on top of events so heavy that it nearly makes those under it feel like they're being crushed. It depicts, here you go, here you go, guys, bullying, harassment, and intimidation. And Jesus said, you'll know you're coming to the end of the age when you, for your faith, begin to be bullied, you begin to be harassed and you begin to be intimidated. Mm. But then he says believers will be killed. The word killed is a horrible Greek word which describes outright slaughter. We'll come back to this in just a moment. Believers are being slaughtered. They're being 
killed brutally for their faith right now all over the planet. You're going to be surprised when you hear how many people today are suffering persecution. But then in Matthew 24, verse 9 and 10, Jesus said, because of believers, many will be offended. The word offended, the Greek word scandalous, it's where we get the word for a scandal, a scandal. Now, why would believers be scandalous? Why would Jesus say believers at the end of the age will be scandalous? Well, I'm going to tell you. Here we go. The Christian faith in the first century. Remember I said it's going to happen in the beginning. It's going to happen at the end. In the first century, the Christian faith was scandalous. Did you know that? It was scandalous when believers lived by a solid biblical foundation and a tossing sea of philosophy that held to no moral absolutes. Very similar to what is developing today, Christians were viewed as bigots, narrow-minded simpletons, simply for standing true to their faith. Worst of all, from the perspective of the society they lived in, Christians would not acknowledge other people's faiths as being correct. And they considered Christians to be scandalous and unacceptable because they were closed-minded, narrow-minded, and their biblical views and beliefs were considered to be offensive. It's exactly what's taking place today. Then you come to the word betrayed. The word betrayed is a form of the Greek word apodidomi, which means to be handed over or to be delivered. And to really understand the word betrayed, you have to go to Luke. And in Luke 21, verse 12, Jesus added, They shall lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues. Now here's something important. When people see the word synagogues, they think, well, this verse is only about Jews. No, 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 no. You've got to read deeper. I'm going to help you here and into prisons, being brought before kings and rulers for my namesake. First of all, when it says they shall lay their hands on you, it refers to physical arrest. This means Christians are going to be arrested for their faith. And not only that, Jesus said they will persecute you. Huh. The word persecute in this verse is the word which means to follow after, to pursue, and it is the same word for entrapment. Entrapment. What is entrapment? It's when you're caught in the situation, you cannot seem to get out of it, you have been entrapped. Well, here's a great example of what's happening in our time. Entrapment is being used against the church today and against believers. For example, if a baker decides that he can't make a cake for a homosexual wedding celebration, well, the law says... He doesn't have the right to say no. He has been entrapped by something. He has no choice. Either he's going to be arrested, his business is going to be shut down, he could go to jail, or he can go ahead and just do what they're asking him to do. But he can't stand by his faith, and therefore he is in a place of entrapment. And Jesus said at the end of the age, believers are going to be caught in these difficult places over and over and over. That's really what the word persecute means in this verse. It is a deliberate plan set to catch you. Mm. And Jesus says they will deliver you to the synagogues. The word deliver means to hand over with ill treatment, to mishandle, to abuse, 
to lead away into condemnation. And though the word synagogue in this verse has a religious connotation, now here's the key. Okay, I want you guys to hear me. One must remember that synagogues were also places where judgments were issued by the Jewish court to those who were found guilty of a crime. Hence, the word synagogue corresponds with the idea of a court system. This word synagogue here really is the idea. You're going to be dragged into the courts. That is happening. Believers, churches today, they're being dragged into the courts. You see, the Western world thought they were living in this bubble of peace that would last forever. And now they're waking up to the harsh reality. The backside of the storm is beginning to hit. And Jesus says they're going to be arrested. They're going to be charged, treated as guilty. They're going to be dragged in front of a court. And then Jesus says the accused will be taken into prisons, which is a place of confinement where one serves a sentence that has been rendered for his or her alleged crime. And what is the crime that Jesus is discussing in this verse? It is believer's commitment to maintain true commitment to Christ and to his word. Regardless of what society and the courts have declared to be the rule of the day, they are called to hold fast to their internal convictions based on the word, no matter what amount of pressure, affliction, or bullying may come. Jesus prophesied all of this. It's amazing. And then he says, you're going to be brought before kings and governors which refers to those invested with legal authority to make decisions and rulings regarding those that are brought before them. Now, my friends, dear Renner Home Group, that is one of the best descriptions of what the Western church is dealing with today that I've ever heard. And Jesus spoke it 2,000 years ago and said, the backside of the storm is going to hit at the end of the age, and here is what's going to happen. Yes, Joel. I like the rest of the verse. Uh, Luke chapter 21, verse 12. But before all this occurs, there will be a time of great persecution. You'll be dragged into synagogues and prisons. We just read that. And you will be accused before kings and governors of being my followers. And then verse 13. Oh, verse 13 is wonderful. This will be your opportunity to tell them about me. That is the truth. And I think the Apostle Paul went through that. Of course he did. He spoke to the emperor. And that is a good example for us. You know, he was accused, he was put in prison for following Jesus. But he had an opportunity to speak to the highest powers. And just like you gave that example about if a baker does not want to make a bake for a right. homosexual wedding. Right. You know what? That case went to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court had a, had a, had a chance to make a good decision or a bad decision. That's right. And following Jesus is always the right thing to do. And it will give you opportunities you never th thought were going to come your way. Another thing I was thinking about, and Mom, you have to help me on this Bible verse. But Jesus says, be wise like a serpent. And gentle like a dove. And gentle like a dove. And I really think we have to do that, especially when we're in turbulent times. Okay, I want, okay we're not going to get to the killed part, I don't think, because I feel, I feel an impression to say something. We live in the former Soviet Union. In the former Soviet Union, when communism came, socialism, Marxism, everything changed. Until that time, there was freedom of religion. But guess what? According to the constitution of the Soviet Union, there was freedom of religion. 
Christians were not persecuted in the Soviet Union for faith. They found other reasons to persecute them. Paul, you want to say a word about that? Christians were widely persecuted in the former Soviet Union, so much that they had to meet in secret and that they printed Bibles in secret. They gave each other Bibles. Uh, the Bible, Owning a Bible was against the law, but they were not persecuted specifically for being Christians. They were persecuted for other things. They made all kinds of other laws that made it impossible for you to practice your faith. Yes. Now, the Constitution said they had freedom of religion, but all the other laws really meant that they, they couldn't do it. It was entrapment on every level. Practically Just like impossible. Daniel. Just like the story of Daniel. Yeah. Just like the story of Daniel. Daniel wanted to pray to God many times a day, and people wanted to catch him. So they created laws. They tricked the king into creating laws that would specifically stop Daniel. But that didn't stop Daniel and, and Paul. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because that's what's happening in the Western world today. They're waking up to this harsh reality that liberals and progressives, they're trying to create a world in which it's illegal to practice their faith, even though the Constitution guarantees it. Mm-hmm. Practically, they're going to make it really hard. They want you to bend. They want you to conform. They want you to become inclusive of everything that they want you to have. Paul? You have to make a decision to stand up for your own faith, to keep your own faith. That's really the decision you have to make, is to keep your own faith. And keeping your own faith will cost you something. Now, for the longest time, it hasn't cost Christians, specifically in America, very much to stand by their faith. But in times coming, it probably will. And just this week, I actually read an article about how an employee of a cafe chose not to wear a pride uh, t-shirt. I read the same article. And was fired. That's an example. wearing the t-shirt. That's an example. Now that's going to happen more and more often. I'm proud of that person for standing up for what they believe. That's, that choice is going to be put in front of you almost daily. But you know, because we live in the former Soviet Union where Christians were ruthlessly persecuted for their faith, I can tell you, you can find a way to practice your faith. Definitely. The believers here were strong. They might have had to go underground, but I'm telling you, the strongest currents go down deep. And I'm telling you, the church was strong even during the Soviet years. They may not have been real visible, but they were strong and they were creative. It is hilarious some of the things they did to practice their faith, but they practiced their faith. It helps to remember that when you experience some things that create pain and discomfort, other people have already gone through this. That's true. And other people are experiencing something probably much worse than you can probably even imagine. So when you think about how, what other people are going through, you kind of move yourself from the center of the picture at that moment. Okay, we're going to go a little bit longer tonight. Is that okay with you, home group? Because we have to cover one more thing. Jesus said many would be killed at the end of the age. So I have to bring up the question, how many people are suffering for their faith physically, in some way, all over the world today. Well, when I wrote this book, it was 215 million. It's been a couple years now since I wrote this book. The number is now, this is the number for this year. 245 million people are suffering for their faith worldwide right now. That is one out of every 10 Christians. And the number's about to change 
because included in suffering is bullying, harassment, intimidation, all of that is included. But many are even losing their faith, particularly in the Muslim world and in some parts of the communist world like North Korea. It's terrible what's happening in North Korea. In the Muslim world, Christians are dying for blasphemy, for committing blasphemy because they're saying that Jesus is Lord. That's considered to be blasphemy. But you know what? We need to remember people in other parts of the world are suffering for their faith. And guess what, dear friend? Now it's not even other parts of the world. It's your world. It's another state. It's another city. It's another school system. It's another court. People are beginning to suffer. And the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 that when one member suffers, we need to all come alongside that member. This is a moment for us to pray for people, for us to undergird them with our prayers and our support, do everything we can. And if it's possible, support ministries and organizations that touch people that have been suffering in other parts of the world. What you do for others will come back to you. Anyway, I felt like we just needed to mm -hmm. cover that because many people in the West don't understand the enormous number of people that are suffering worldwide, 245 million people well, the population of the United States is a little over 300 million. That's nearly the whole population of the United States. That many people suffering for their faith. And I'll say one more thing. This suffering for their faith is now in more than 70% of the nations of the world. It's the little islands that don't have it. Just little isolated places don't have it. 70% of the world has people suffering for their faith. We pray for them in Jesus' name, for the power of the Holy Spirit, and we pray for the power of the Holy Spirit for all of us to deal with what has arrived at our own shores. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Denise? I want to add some verse. It's in Matthew chapter 5, and it's uh, verse 10. And it said, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad. This is the really great part. For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. But honey, you know, when, just when you're reading that, I'm thinking, you know what? 20 years ago, 30 years ago, we almost couldn't even relate to that verse. When people prophesy you and speak all manner of evil against you today, almost everybody can relate to that verse. But that verse says we're blessed. That's powerful. And it says that your reward is great in heaven. And, you know, I think about those bakers that they lost their business and everything because they stood up for what was righteous. Mm -hmm. But in heaven, they're going to receive a great reward. Amen. And heaven is for eternity. I mean, we're talking about earth. This is like, oh, okay, let's say that you live past 100. It's still past 100 compared to eternity. So... Our decisions to stand up for righteousness, the Bible says, Jesus said, we are 
blessed. Amen. Well, hey, it's time to go to bed. So last night we left you with monsters and UFOs and things descending out of the heavens. Tonight we're leaving you with persecution, but we have to because Jesus covered it. But hey, tomorrow night we're going to come back and we're going to see that Jesus prophesied at the very end of the age there's going to be an eruption of a plethora of false prophets, false prophetic voices. That is really interesting. But go to bed. But don't miss tomorrow night. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed this teaching, please subscribe, like, and comment so more people can see it.